Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. As British Prime Minister Boris Johnson announces the lifting of all restrictions by June 21st, will the UK get their summer while Ireland gets left behind? We're setting out on what I hope and believe is a one-way road to freedom. And this journey is made possible by the pace of the vaccination programme. The hospitality industry calls for clarity and additional supports as the government revises their living with COVID plan. First day back at school for some, but when will the rest of our students make their return? And a young life taken too soon. The parents of 21-year-old Lorcan O'Reilly join us in studio to speak of the tragic loss of their son and their campaign to highlight the rise of knife crime. Get in touch on Twitter or hashtag TonightVMTV. You could be playing a round of golf from March 29th or getting your hair cut from April 12th and enjoying a pint in a real pub from May 17th. If you're in England, that is what today Boris Johnson announced his four-stage plan for reopening. And joining us from London with the details is Ollie Barrett from Feature Story News. Ollie, thank you for joining us. We certainly looked on enviously uh, today. There's some of the detail I mentioned there in the opening. What else was contained in that plan and what is it contingent on, Ollie? That's right. This all begins with the return to school for all English school children on uh, March the 8th. And then a little bit later in March, we get some tweaking around uh, the gathering that people can do outdoors. So a couple of households will be able to meet. Outdoor sport will resume at the end of March as well. And then a bit of a gap before anything else changes. April the 12th will be the earliest date. If the data is still moving in the right direction, that non-essential retail can start to reopen. Hairdressers, gyms, and swimming pools. May the 17th is then the earliest date at which hotels can start operating properly again. Hospitality can resume indoors. So as you say, a pint inside uh, an actual pub and fans at sporting events in the middle of May as well. And then June the 21st becomes a potentially very important date as well. That is the date if everything goes according to plan. And that is a very big if that all legal limits on social contact might be removed at that point and the rest of the economy that isn't yet up and running will be reopened. So things like nightclubs from June the 21st as well. And all of this is contingent on the vaccination programme continuing successfully, on infection numbers not getting out of control enough that they would cause a spike in hospitalisations and overwhelming the National Health Service and on keeping an eye on potential new variants spreading here or elsewhere in the world as well and potentially uh, moving to this country. 
And how much of an influence is that successful vaccination programme in the UK having on this plan? Well, Boris Johnson says that is the reason that he's able to set out this plan now. We were also presented with some data today, the first real-world data coming out of the UK and the vaccination programme that has been going on here now since last December. And, and what that showed us is that in the fourth week after receiving the first dose of the vaccines that are being rolled out here, hospitalizations were reduced in those people by 85% and 94% for the Pfizer and the AstraZeneca jabs, respectively. So having a major impact already. And among the over 80s, because there's been some concern about how effective these vaccines are in the elderly, there was an overall 81% reduction in the numbers of people being admitted to hospital. So it's because of that data that Boris Johnson has been able to set out this plan today. And there's no sense, uh, Ollie, that the UK are, uh, is going to be able to eradicate COVID-19. In fact, parts of the plan actually acknowledged, look, people will still get infected, but there mightn't be serious illness and hospital admissions. So has there been some criticism of this plan? Well, there are, there are some who believe that the government should be doing more to try and eradicate COVID-19 completely. But Boris Johnson said this several times today in his House of Commons statement, but also in a Downing Street press conference this evening as well, that he doesn't believe that COVID-19 can be eradicated. We are going, he says, to have to find a way to live with it. And again, that's reflected in this plan. He was also backed up on that by the chief medical officer and the chief scientific advisor as they stood alongside him at Downing Street. Chris Whitty, the CMO, saying that he believes that COVID-19 will be with us for the next few winters at least. And all of those three men acknowledging that there are going to be hospitalizations and fatalities, particularly potentially in those winter months for years to come. One of the other very interesting things that I heard your health secretary, Matt Hancock, talk today about on Sky News was surge testing and how they are now really trying to hunt down cases and this virus. Tell me about that. What does that actually involve? Right. So they found uh, a case of the South African discovered variant in Brentwood in Essex over the last couple of days, just to take one example. And that then led to a huge surge in testing in that very localised area where everyone is able to get a rapid test to try and find out whether that particular variant has spread further. Up to now in Brentwood, they haven't found any extra cases. They believe it is localised and not spreading out of control. But they hope as the broader case numbers across the country do come down, that when you do have lower case numbers, that that rapid rollout of testing is really going to be able to get on top of localised outbreaks. And actually, it was also interesting to hear Boris Johnson today say in the House of Commons that while he doesn't want ever to go back into a national lockdown if he can possibly help it, he did acknowledge that you might need to have local restrictions sometimes imposed in places if you did indeed find uh, variants of concern that were spreading there. All right, we're going to leave it there. Uh, but Oli Barr, thank you for that update. Well, a little bit closer to home, ministers and senior officials met tonight at government buildings to approve the government's revised Living with COVID plan ahead of a public announcement tomorrow. And our reporter, Richard Chambers, joins us with the latest. Richard, I think that meeting just wrapped in the last couple of minutes. What can you tell us? 
It sure did, uh, Kira. It has been a three-hour-long meeting. It has been quite tight-lipped, actually, you could say. Uh, minister Eamon Ryan, the Green Party leader, uh, the only minister who has spoke to media on the way out. He didn't reveal much about what was discussed, apart from what we, we know already, that schools will be the main focus of it, uh, that the uh, focus will be from uh, next Monday to reopen school for uh, junior and senior infants, first and second class at primary level, uh, leaving certain students at secondary level as well. Eamon Ryan says that we are in a very precarious situation, that we do need to be careful uh, due to the high levels of transmission and infection we do see uh, in the community. But he said it would be important as well to offer people hope that once we, that we can uh, chart our way out of this after a difficult number of weeks ahead. But uh, in terms of what we do know about the refreshed living with COVID strategy, we aren't likely to see any major changes uh, at least until April. That is when the first uh, major review of it will be in about a month's time. So uh, there is going to be very little changes. As one minister told me today, uh, very little is going to change in the immediate uh, future apart from schools. So uh, after the first batch of uh, school classes are reopened on March 1st, it will be about two to three weeks and then uh, you might see more classes returned. Some students, at, particularly at secondary level, uh, will not be returning to the classroom until uh, after the Easter holidays, it seems. So f schools and the reopening of our schools and getting our children back to schools is certainly the focus uh, for the government in terms of next stages. But what else is going to be contained in this revised Living with Covid plan? Are we expecting dates, details about childcare, construction, hospitality? Well, childcare is something that was discussed today. There was a special subcommittee meeting on that which fed into then the COVID subcommittee. Uh, so that was discussed. It is understood uh, that NEFA did give that the go-ahead that childcare could resume if the progress that had been made in recent weeks was upheld. So we do expect some movement potentially on that. Construction is an interesting one. People like Pascal Dunahoo, Michael McGrath as well, had been arguing the case that construction is such a fundamental part of our economy that it needs to reopen in in some form. In fact, the uh, Tom Parlin of the Construction Industry Federation did write to NEFET appealing uh, for that consideration to be taken on board. But some ministers do believe that the exemptions which are already there uh, do allow enough uh, construction to take place safely. But So it is unclear whether or not there will be any changes there, at least in the short term. Uh, wider than that, though, I mean, there isn't going to be a huge amount of changes uh, until at least April or May. Uh, there had been some consideration given as to whether or not people could uh, meet up in, in, in uh, outdoor public spaces, but nothing conclusive as we can hear uh, at this point of the evening, uh, Kira. And as you said there, Richard, you did manage to grab uh, Minister Eamon Ryan as he left that Cabinet subcommittee meeting a little earlier this evening. Let's have a listen to what he had to say. Uh, well, we're working just on, on the latest updates, the COVID plan, uh, full meeting of the Cabinet subcommittee, Paul Reid, Ronan Glynn. Uh, giving their perspective as well. So we'll we'll set out the details tomorrow. Uh, we'll meet again in the morning and well, Cabinet at lunchtime tomorrow and then publish the update. And that was uh, Eamon Ryan speaking there. Um, are the ministers coming under an awful lot of pressure at this stage, uh, Richard, from various lobby groups to try and ease uh, the reopening or reopen a little bit quicker, perhaps? 
Not hugely, Kira. I think that is interesting. That is what's different to previous stages of this pandemic, whereas previously you would have seen uh, people from the hospitality industry calling for a quicker reopening, saying that they were safe to do so. What you do tend to see now more from the hospitality sector in particular is just the ask is that they just want clarity. They want some sort of timeline as to when they might possibly be open and also clarity on what sort of supports will be there. So there isn't quite the same level of push to reopen as there was previously, perhaps construction is the industry where you're seeing the largest, the loudest noises being made on that front. But uh, of course, a lot of groups uh, as well calling for the resumption of childcare as well as uh, clarity on how that is going to go. One thing which might actually do change as well, Kira, uh, in the weeks ahead, the resumption of non-COVID care, uh, outpatient care in hospitals. That is something which is a high priority for the government. Right, uh, our reporter Richard Chambers there at Government Buildings. Thank you for that update. We're now going to go to our panel, Fina Foyles, Barry Cowan and Sinn Féin's Louise O'Reilly. You're both very welcome to the programme, Barry. Yeah. We'll have to start with um, Boris Johnson today and that roadmap. I don't know about you, but I looked on with nothing but uh, feelings of envy. Did you? Yeah, you would, of course. Um, but having said that, it'll all count for nothing if the case is rise if it's not able to sustain numbers at manageable levels. And I think that's our priority. Uh, you know, the thousand a day where we've been hovering between 700 and 1,000, there's no way we can, we, can, we can open things up in the way in which we would want or we would like to see. And as Mike Ryan said today, I think it's all about cases, it's all about numbers. You know, cases determine how many goes into hospital, how many goes into hospital determines how our ICU can, can deal with that. And we have to be in a position whereby we free those numbers and allow non-COVID care return to our hospitals and maybe then we can look at situations under easing of restrictions together with the progress that's been made hopefully with the advents of more vaccinations which and are taking place. I heard that interview with uh, Mike Ryan he was saying in the absence of vaccination and huge supply which the UK has it's then all about the numbers you know when the numbers are high the options are limited for, for government. Is the UK now really reaping the rewards of the gamble it took in investing in vaccines the way it did? It might. Uh, that way may well be the case. But then I did hear today too, uh, some of the, you know, the, the, the scientific evidence that's coming from the studies that they're carrying out, having commenced their vaccinations, they took a gamble, you could say, in relation to the second jab, it takes place four to 12 weeks after the first, and the efficacy diminishes <coughs> each week beyond the fourth week. That's not something this government or this country is prepared to do. They're committed to the three weeks as recommended by the World Health, World, World Health so you're uh, Authority the and so forth. Is adopting a much riskier strategy than Ireland's willing but to that, do? That, 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 that was that was my that's what I gleaned from from what Mike Ryan had to say today. You know, i you know from my perspective, from everyone else's perspective, of course, we're frustrated. We're we're we're, we're at our wits end. This has gone on so long. Uh, you know, the days are begin to get longer. The weather begin to get better. Uh, there's a tunnel. It's, it's a long one, but there is light at the end of it. And we would hope with the ramping up of vaccinations, together with uh, a more clear definition of how restrictions might be eased according to the number of cases, rather than focusing and concentrating on dates. And I'm glad to hear it being said that many in different sectors acknowledge that fact and are looking for help and assistance in relation to their preparation to open, but not looking for that opening to take place now when there's such a risk involved in doing so. Louise, what did you make of Boris Johnson's reopening, his roadmap today? 
Well, it is all dependent on the cases. Uh, and I think that's that's the one thing that's very, very clear. Um, there's no dispute in the fact that they're able to talk about that because of the levels of vaccination. Um, and we haven't reached those levels of vaccination. That, that, that is simply a fact. Uh, although, I mean, I accept the points made uh, in relation to their their own strategy. But what they have is now a roadmap for reopening. It, it's date specific. I would actually like to see our government come out with a, a roadmap that is case specific. But also, I want to hear from the government tomorrow, not just the plan for the future, but what they have been doing for the last. So, for example, it's 10 months now since Neffet asked uh, for consideration to be given to mandatory quarantine. And over the weekend, Eamon Ryan was on the media saying it could be a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. We don't know when the legislation is going to, to go through. We know the legislation is ready, but we also know, as, as Eamon Ryan said, that it will uh, potentially require okay. substantial amendment. But just to go back to the roadmap, um, it's obviously up to Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland to decide its own reopening schedule. What's going to happen now in Northern Ireland? The executive will meet um, and uh, unlike what characterises the, uh, the administration down here, the executive will meet and the announcement will be made on uh, based on their own case numbers and based on their own levels of vaccination. So I think the similar things happening in Scotland and in Wales, but the executives will meet. But do you us getting to the point, I suppose, where we have relaxed restrictions in Northern Ireland and we're still perhaps in level four or five here in the Republic? Well, I think... No. Given the level of vaccination, okay, and, and Kira, you, you, yeah, but you will know this. Yeah, we know we're miles behind. We know that we're in, you know, the 26 counties is miles behind. That's a fact. Um, are they going to be able to catch up? I hope so. I hope that uh, that there will be a significant ramping up. Um, if the rate of announcements uh, matched the rate of vaccination, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So what we want to see are not just announcements, but we want to see targets being set. We also want to see all of the people who are going to be involved, not just in vaccinating, but in testing and tracing to be employed. So the HSC, just, just let go me back finish, to the issue, have though, set a target um, of the question, just, just bear with me for one second. About Northern Ireland. Yes, and the, the HSC, Northern Ireland. as I've said to you, the executive will meet and they will announce their plan. So and that's what Sinn Féin like to see as part okay. of the executive. So what we want to see is case specific announcements so that nothing opens up until the cases allow. But what we have also called for consistently in this studio, and I don't know how many others since last March, is an all island strategy. So that involves deepening cooperation, that involves sharing of information, and that involves maximising the benefits but we have from being accept, a small island. Louise, that we could be in a situation where we have two very different approaches in Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland because Northern Ireland's vaccination programme is going to be so far advanced in comparison to what we have in the in But the that Republic. doesn't take away from the fact that the best strategy is an all-Ireland strategy and that requires okay, deepening... Okay, but we've been talking about now like our all-Ireland strategy since last yes, March. Yes, indeed. And, and, yeah, and the, 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 it's regrettable that, you know, we see Robin Swan is still writing, looking for, for information. So what we need is a coherent all-island strategy. Now, I don't think that that should be beyond us, but I do know that I've been calling for this and Sinn Féin's been calling for this since last March and it hasn't happened. This is despite the fact that people on the government side, and Barry will probably say it now, will say it'd be a great idea if we had an all-island strategy, but it's just not happening. So, you know, that is how we maximise the benefits think, from being an island. Our first responsibility in relation to the school's opening, and we're glad to see that there is apparently you know, cohesion in relation to all the stakeholders in relation to the process that that will involve. Mm. But I think, again, being mindful of the scientific evidence, which is emanating from recent studies, 
that the, you know, the, 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 the UK variant is much stronger than the previous one. It's much stronger amongst younger people too. So, you know, while it's a phased reopening, you have to ensure that there's proper monitoring and, 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 and assessment of that phased reopening yeah, and its impact. To, because if it's have personnel if it's, in place, Barry, and you, th th they're not in place yeah, now. Well, so a target of 2,000... I'm 2000, not so sure, you know... Well, let's, no, let's, I am. Well, a target of well, 2,000 was set by the HSE for recruiting, to Louise, uh, if you are testing, sure what's going to happen. And only 1,500 of those have been employed. So I know that that target's not been hit. So th in that respect, I do know, uh, you know, well, they've set that, a target, I, they haven't hit it. So if we can't get test and trace right, we can't get reopening right. I mean, I you know think, this, I know this, this is a fact. You know, from, from, from what I understand, as I said, there's been huge effort and input on the part of the stakeholders in relation to the returning the, the kids to school and great cognizance and, and, and emphasis on all those aspects by which yep. it is managed thereafter. And that's why it's been phased. That's why it'll be monitored. That's why, you know, it's imperative that that information uh, leads to further reopening. That information okay, is shared with our counterparts to... in the north and that there might be progress in that we haven't seen in the past. And we're going to go back to the issues of school reopening and speak to a parent uh, in the second part of the programme this evening who I don't think uh, would say that all stakeholders are delighted at the progress um, that has been made. I just want to talk about the numbers because you mentioned there, Barry, that the numbers are um, static. What is the government going to do? Because I heard, I think it was Paul Reid out today saying, look, this isn't about the big groups gathering or house parties or, you know, huge breaches. This is about somebody popping into their neighbours for a cup of tea or somebody going over to a friend's house to, you know, watch a football match. That's the kind of loose, casual contacts that is keeping the numbers high. What can the government do about that? What, what can we all do about it, I think, is the point that Paul Reid was making and others have been making in recent days. Um, you know, in the main, we've been, we've been adhering to the recommendations. We've seen huge progress but there it has been a stalemate uh, and a stalling on the part of the figures in, in recent days. Notwithstanding, as I said, it's, 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 its virulence is far stronger than the previous strain, the UK one that's prominent in 90% of cases now. But I think, you know, we're back to the basics in relation to all our, our own responsibilities. And that was the point that, that, that Paul Reid was making. It was, it was people going over for a cup of tea. Right it so was people you know, come on board? Because clearly, well, it's, as you it's, say, the it's public a responsibility. Point, are they getting tired of the message? Are they fatigued by the message? Are they ignoring the government's they, they message? Wait, they may well be, you know, but like I said, we have to hold firm. I have a job to do in, 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 in being responsible. I have a job to do in ensuring that those in, in, within my care adhere to the, 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 the recommendations and the, the, the most obvious ones of hand hygiene and cough etiquette but and, and just saying like to yourself... But the government has nothing else in its back pocket to try and get people on board so that we finally can drive these numbers down. Well, the, the government... Other than asking You know, it, could, it, it, uses, it uses what resources it can in the form of the Gardaí and others to help and assist in order to ensure that people get the message and that people take on board the message uh, rather than being so frustrated and so annoyed that they go out and, and put all the good work to harm in harm's way. Okay, so there's a couple of things that the government could do. Um, one of them, and a really, really simple thing, uh, which hasn't been done as yet, would be they could coordinate the announcements. Uh, so what we had in the last couple of days, we had leaking, uh, ministers contradicting what other ministers were saying. That drives people, quite frankly, up the wall. So let's just accept the fact that people are really struggling 
at this time. They are doing their absolute best, but they need the government to come and meet them halfway. And that means consistent messaging, announcements that are made at a set time, not leaking and one-upmanship on behalf of Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and the Green Party, because that just does not help. All right. I'd agree with you there. I think we all have a responsibility in that regard, government and opposition parties and within government. And I know people in politics, politicians especially, want to be popular and they want to be first out with the news. But I think it's it's incumbent on them all. You can speak for yourself on that one, Barry, because you don't speak for me on that. All right. uh, We're going to leave that there for now. But we are going to be coming back to the issue of mixed messaging. And we'll be speaking to the Restaurant Association of Ireland uh, after the break. They foresee mass closures in the coming months if the government fails to put further supports in place. Adrian Cummins joins us in a few minutes. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You're very welcome back. Now, with the hospitality industry still in limbo as to when they'll be allowed to reopen, we're joined by Adrian Cummins, CEO of the Restaurants Association of Ireland. Uh, Adrian, you're very welcome to the programme. What are your members hoping to see in this revised Living with COVID plan tomorrow? Uh, Good evening, um, uh, Kira. Well, the hospitality and restaurant sector is in a precarious position at the moment with regard to our financial well-being. We're very close to financial meltdown with our industry. Uh, We expect that uh, our industry is getting very, very close to a substantial number of businesses going out of business over the next number of months. If the government don't step up to the plate with increasing the level of business supports for our industry around the crisp payment, around uh, writing off uh, the the rates for our industry and 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 helping us uh, with a roadmap to reopening a roadmap to recovery for the restaurant and hospitality industry uh, over the next number of months when you say a roadmap what exactly are you referring to should that be based on numbers hospital admissions vaccinations well we have seen what they have delivered in the uk today the very, there has been set out very clearly dates for reopening of certain parts of the economy, how they will reopen and what the matrix around that will be uh, uh, with regard to vaccine rollout and also with regard to hospital admissions also. So the UK is the template for Europe uh, and we believe that Ireland should be able to set out very clearly and a distinct way for our citizens and our businesses 
that we know exactly what is going to happen over the next number of weeks and months ahead. We don't expect to open in the next number of weeks, but we do expect to open uh, very clearly in the summer season. And we want to be ready and prepared for that. And our staff needs to be, needs to be able to come back to work uh, and have a, have a job to go to. All right, I just want to keep you on the line there, Adrian, because I want to put those points, uh, first of all, to Barry Cowan. He mentioned there um, an industry, he said, close to meltdown, who want to be able to open this summer. The Taoiseach said, uh, midsummer, we could be looking at hospitality reopening and a lot of debate. What is midsummer? What's midsummer to you, Barry Cowan? Or what do you think the Taoiseach Midsummer meant? to me is what the longest day of the year is. That's the 21st of June. It'll be midsummer to me, anyway. Whether it's midsummer to the Taoiseach or not, I don't know. We'll get more clarity around that tomorrow. And that's one of the points we were making before the break, just to be clear, concise and definite, definitive leadership, to show hope uh, and, and to show that hope by example in relation to themselves. And that's in relation to the vaccination programme going from 100,000 a week this week to 250,000 a week at its, you know, running well, which is a million a month. Uh, and with Do you that, expect Adrian Cummins and his members will get the clarity that they want tomorrow? I mean, are you going to be they able need, to set they need out to metrics see, with they need this to see, living with They need COVID to see that first, anyway. They want, need to see a vaccination uh, rollout programme that can deliver and is delivering at its optimum. So that, that, is, that is in the process of happening. We'd rather if it happened earlier, but we, we hadn't access to vac vaccines in the sort of numbers we would have wanted more than anybody else in Europe. So that, 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 that has to happen. Then we have to see this, this living with COVID programme, as it's called, tomorrow. And that has to be, I think, no more than what Louise and we both said before the break, it has to be specific to the progress that's been made in relation to rates. Uh, with progress in relation to rates, you can begin to ease restrictions, of course. And in the, and in the have you seen the plan? I haven't, no, I haven't. And in the meantime, you know, a lot of progress has been made over the course of the last year in relation to the supports that have been in place, in relation to the wage subsidy scheme, PUP, the, the, the CRIS scheme, uh, the rebates in relation to rates, uh, guarantee schemes, uh, loan guarantee schemes. Now, you know, they've been fine and they've been a help, but it was never envisaged that it would go on this long. And it was never envisaged uh, that such, a, such, such, such pressure would be on that industry that has been mentioned into another summer. But in a, they have to be in a position to be able to meet the demands of the summer in the event of it opening up. So there is new supports that are required. There is improvements on the existing supports that are required. And I would hope that that would be reflected in the plan that is produced tomorrow. Uh, to be clear, uh, Adrian Cummins, I think the industry is looking for the CRIS scheme to be doubled, am I right? Yeah, well, I... I yeah. That's correct, Kira. We would like to see a doubling of the CRIS support. So for your listeners, we get a, we get a rebate based on our 2019 turnover of about 10%. We need that to go to 20% because what is happening at the moment is the banks are putting pressure on businesses. Uh, uh, the suppliers need to be paid for uh, outstanding debt from back in 2020. So we're in a very precarious position at the moment where we expect that a triggering of, of liquidations uh, can happen. But the government have an opportunity here now to step up to the plate and get us to the finishing line. And by doing so, they must double that Chris support for the hospitality businesses and all businesses that are, will be closed for the foreseeable future. Um, Adrian, I think you'd put a figure of somewhere between 25 and 50% um, of businesses that you say just won't make it out uh, of this third lockdown. Is that correct? Yes, our analysis of businesses at the moment in the restaurants sector is that we would expect 
between 25 and 50% of businesses are on a tipping point to go into liquidation. That's how serious it is at the moment. And we have a, we have a, we have a opportunity now with our country uh, that we can give these businesses an opportunity and hope by giving them the extra uh, support from the government for the next number of months to get them to the finishing line. And that finishing line is fully reopened on a viable basis. Uh, the vaccine obviously is the great hope for the country, but obviously we are in a time, we have, we're running out of time at the moment because All these right. businesses can be triggered into liquidation. Um I just want to put that point to Louise O'Reilly. Look, sustainability uh, for that industry does seem to be in question at the moment. And yet we see figures today of six billion being spent on the pop payment since it was introduced last year. Is there a question of sustainability too in terms of the supports that are out there? Yeah, but we have to look and balance that against, uh, you know, what the, the lived reality for people. So we're talking about the tourism and hospitality sector. You're talking about 150,000 jobs. That's 150,000 families who are depending on the industry. One, being kept alive and two, being in a position to reopen. So if you can imagine if you're struggling and you're trying to keep it, uh, you know, to keep body and soul together and you hear an off the cuff remark from the Taoiseach, oh, well, it, it could be midsummer and no detail put on it. I mean, really more respect needs to be shown to these people and to the workers who are depending on this. So when they hear throw away and glib remarks from the Taoiseach like that, it really, really, really has a huge right. impact on uh, them. Adrian Cummins, uh, thank you for your contribution this evening, uh, as we mentioned a little earlier, one of the main focus of the new living with COVID plan is going to be schools and getting them reopened for our children. Well, joining us now via Skype is Irish Times parenting journalist uh, Jen Hogan. Um, I heard Louise are talking about, you know, the drip feeding of information. Well, there's certainly been the drip feeding of information when it comes to how and when and for whom our schools are going to reopen as a parent of school going children. How are you feeling? Yeah, I mean, look, there's a certain relief, all right, to think that we're now looking towards perhaps the 1st of March for younger children going back. But the goalposts have been moved on us so many times. And certainly from speaking to parents, there have been promises made that haven't materialised yet. Things like um, children with additional needs returning to school. And while lots of children have returned to school, children with additional needs in mainstream classes and mainstream schools aren't back yet. There's also, I think, a lot of concern there about how long it's going to take to get our children back. I mean, this was supposed to be an emergency measure and it's going on for such a long amount of time. There's talk now that some of the secondary school students won't be back till after Easter. And I suppose I know that might be based on the idea that teenagers can perhaps manage remote learning a little bit better, but it forgets really the essence of who teens are and the motivation and support that they need and how difficult it is for teenagers, as well as all children at the moment, to be isolated from their peers and um, their teachers and from the typical supports that are available to them. And I suppose I'll go back, going back to teenagers again, there's a lot of teenagers just clinging on by the fingernails to the education system and a lot of them will be lost forever as a result of this because of these prolonged delays. I mean, I was speaking to parents constantly and the message that's coming back to me is that there's huge distress at home, there's huge stress at home, there's increased levels of anxiety with children, remote learning, will never replace in-school learning. And a lot of the solutions that were being offered, they don't seem child or teen centred. I know, uh, Jen, you said it's the April 12th date, isn't it, for our secondary school uh, pupils, for the majority of them, that just seems so far away. You'd like to see the Easter break moved, moved back, wouldn't you? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I've been campaigning for this since um, January, really, since the schools closed and we were initially told it would be two days and then it went on a little bit longer. Um, I mean, there was no reason, really. And there were a lot of teachers I spoke to about this who were also in favour of the idea of bringing the Easter holidays forward to this period of school closures, which would mean that children were back in school over the Easter holidays, given, or over the traditional Easter holidays. Nobody loses out because both teachers and children would be on holidays. And yes, it's a bit grim that we would have okay. to, you know, be on holidays during lockdown, but it's the same either way. I, I want to put that point to Louise Rayleigh. Is that something that should be considered... Well, I think it's something that uh, the minister should talk to the stakeholders about. I think she needs to talk to the people who are working in uh, the education system and also to parents. Is it something that Sinn Féin would support the idea that we shift the Easter holidays so that the Easter holidays you know, are taking place when the children are being homeschooled and then it would allow them to go back to school that little bit earlier? Yeah, and again, Sinn Féin have supported all along measures that will work and will ensure that we get the kids back to school as quickly and as safely as possible. So if this is something that in conjunction with with the education partners will work absolutely. Uh, it should be considered. But we need to look also at those kids who really have been disproportionately impacted by this. So not all kids can get okay. online, not all kids have broadband, not all, all right. kids have laptops, and some children uh, are going to need a lot of catching up. Barry Kerr, I just want to ask you briefly, is there consideration being given to perhaps antigen testing um, of teachers going back to school or perhaps PCR testing like they're doing in the UK for those children heading back to secondary school or something that can speed up their return? I don't know, is the short answer. I'd like to think that there is uh, some moves in that direction. You know, I, I'm struck by this programme and others on a daily basis almost that we all crave certainty, we all crave instant information in this information age that we're, we are in, whereby the news cycle is almost every hour. Unfortunately, we can't have it that way. And you have to allow for the situation that we find ourselves in I think, you know, the last few days has taught us something that we can't have this sort of mixed messaging and people are very upset by it. And okay. they would hope tomorrow that that plan is case specific and that people can understand it all and right. that there's a clear progress. I have in front to leave of it us. there, but my Thank thanks the to vaccination, of course. Uh, our panel and to all of our guests after the break. We hear the heartbreaking story from parents Jenny O'Reilly and her partner Patrick on the tragic loss of their son Larkin. Welcome back. Now, there's been a plea to tackle knife crime from the heartbroken parents of a young man killed in Dublin. 21-year-old Lorcan O'Reilly died in 2015 and a teenager was later convicted of his manslaughter. And Lorcan's parents, Jenny and Patrick, are here with me now. You're both uh, very welcome to the programme and I thank you for coming in. I want to share my own um, sincere sympathies with you both. You might start by telling me about your son, Larkin. What kind of a son and a young man was he, Jenny? Oh, he was a lovely young man. Very, very good-hearted, kind, help anybody out. Uh, he done a lot for us and a lot for his sisters and brothers. So He loved his music and he was always happy. A happy-go-lucky young fella. Had a lot to live for, so... And he was the eldest of six children, so was he a good support at home? Yeah, he was a very, very good big brother. Like, from the other five children down, he helped with all of them, even when he was only yay high. It didn't matter, he took the role of big brother. 
So yes, he was fantastic. When especially when the twins came along, he felt it in himself to always make sure, like up early in the morning, if I needed a hand with bottles, anything that was going on. Yeah, he was he was very very involved in these brothers and sisters. Somebody you were very proud of. Absolutely, yeah, hundred percent, yeah. Bring us back to that night. It was bonfire night, wasn't it? And he had attended a bonfire with some friends. But how did he come into contact with the young man who would eventually take his life? Well, it was after the bonfire. He moved over to Oliver Bond. And he was over there having a few drinks with his friends. And an argument started between that chap and the other, someone else. And Larkham wanted to stop the fight. But... It ended up then that Larkham got into an argument with him and he came and he attacked Larkham with a holy, so Larkham took it off him and then he went off and got a knife and come back and that's when he stabbed Larkham. And Larkham tried to make it back to the house, but he couldn't make it. He made it to the top of the hill and that's when we got the knock on the door to say he was gone to the hospital. So that's the first thing we done. So there had been a fracas, a bit of an argument between the man who was eventually, the young teenager who was eventually charged with his death and another person. And Larkin intervened, tried to get them to stop. Yes. Yeah. 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 And did he go back and get the hurley or did he have a hurley with him that night, this young man? Not sure where the hell we got the hurley, but when he attacked with the hurley, as I said, Larkin took it off him. And then he went off and got the knife somewhere, so... And then he come back and that's when he... Came back with a knife and stabbed, stabbed Larkin, Larkin in the chest. That's what happened. Larkin didn't stand a chance, did no. he? Not where he was stabbed, no. Didn't have a hope. He was stabbed after two and he was pronounced dead at five past four. So, no, he didn't have a... No, didn't have a prayer. And you said he was stabbed in the chest. I think he... he, he tried to go after him and he, and he, he stabbed him a second him, yeah. time, didn't he? Yeah, yes, it's something in the face. So, yeah, twice. And he was taken to a hospital in Dublin and was pronounced dead Well, a short time later. When we got to knock on the door to say Larkin's been stabbed, just straight into frenzy, shock, don't know what to do. So I said to Paddy, you're going to have to get to the hospital and I'll organise the kids. So I made phone calls to get family down and friends that could help mind the little ones because we only had two small babies, twins at the time. So Paddy went on ahead to James's and I'd follow. So it wasn't until I was following, I, I didn't even know what I was doing. I don't even know how I got to the hospital, but I got there. But before I got there, Paddy was in the corridor and he kind of knows what commotion mm. went on there, so I'll let you tell that part. Well, I heard it over the time. No, it wasn't loud in the back of the A&E where they were walking on him. And a relation of mine, um, when I come over the time, I had to tell all the doctors to rush to the theatre. I knew it was for Larkin. And my relation turned me to the wall, but I could hear the wheels of the trolley wheeling by me with Larkin on it. So I knew it was him and I knew it wasn't good. And then, by the time Jenny got to the hospital, it must have been five, ten minutes after that, they told us to head up to a room. And then it wasn't long after that that they told us he didn't make it. It was like an echo. Do you know, like, it's your child, he's 21, he's still my child, he was 21. And, like, they tell you, I'm sorry, your son didn't make it. And you, you're, you're, you're having tea and you're like, 
you heard it. You don't want to hear it. And they repeat it because they know maybe we have to say it again. And they said, we're just going to get them ready for you so you can go in and have a look at them. And in that process, I, I, I just, I couldn't take it in. I, I, I didn't want to believe it. I was like, no, please don't be real, please. Just, you're making a mistake. But it wasn't until we got to where they bring us, they moved the curtain and there was a guard standing at the door. And I wanted to just touch my child. I, I just want, I wanted to touch him. And he had a sheet up to his neck and a tube in his mouth. And I heard just from behind me, I'm sorry, Jenny, but you won't be able to touch Lorcan, he's evidence. My child was evidence and I couldn't even kiss my child. I couldn't touch him, nothing. Imagine that, imagine being faced with that. Not only were you just told your son was stabbed, but then you're getting told your son is stabbed, but your son is dead. How do you do? What, what, I, you know what I mean? I don't want that for anybody, family, ever. I don't, I don't want that anybody to go through that. Because I don't want it for anybody else. Because it's been... It's horrible. Absolutely devastating. Yeah. And continues to be devastating for you all. Never stops. Never stops. It's five years, but for us, it's like yesterday. Yesterday. I just, I just keep seeing him lying in that bed. And one of his eyelids wasn't closed. And it was like, he was looking at me. And I wanted to just hold him. And I could not hold him. And I wanted him so much to know I'm here. And there was nothing we could do. Nothing. Imagine two hours being stabbed. Two hours, that was it. And the hospital worked so hard on him. They'd done everything. They even took his heart out, massaged it in their hands. It wasn't meant to be. The, the stab wound, where he was stabbed, was fatal from the get-go. There wasn't a chance. And just to be really clear, I mean, the Gardaí subsequently said Larkin was completely and utterly innocent, wasn't known to them. No. And they made a point, I think, of saying anybody we questioned about Larkin spoke about him as being a young, promising, good, well-behaved young man. This wasn't somebody who'd been tied up in crime. crime. No. He's, he had dreams. He had places to go, stuff he wanted to do. He had his, map, his life mapped out as far as he knew where he wanted to go as far as the music was concerned. And that was his passion. Yeah. His passion was music. And out of everybody, and all the family and everybody that's been affected by it, I think the most, the biggest person I feel sorry for is Larkin. Because it it's him that lost out. He lost yeah. out. So it never goes away. I mean, the young teenager who was responsible for Larkin's death, he did come forward and he did eventually, I think, plead guilty to manslaughter. He was given six years detention with the last 18 months suspended. suspended. Yeah. Did you feel that justice was served when that was handed down? I don't think any parent would think that justice was handed down or that we got justice. But there's probably, at the moment, there's nothing we can do about that, except try and make sure that that doesn't happen again for other parents with their kids, if it ever happens, and something needs to change. Lorcan didn't get justice. 
comedians. And they've had crumbs of this if the minister can hear us. If she can do something with knife crime and change the law to do with knife crime, I hope she thinks of my law come and she does. Because many people have been sending me messages and they said, Jenny, I think they should change your law and they should call it Logan's law. And that way he get a just that way he'll give a bit of justice. Because you feel at the moment, Jenny, that the sentencing that's out there no. isn't a deterrent no, to other isn't. young men who are looking at what happened no. to Lorcan. No, absolutely not. No. They're just gonna look at it and go, Oh, that's what that person got and sure that's nothing. They're not deterred from it. They're not. All right. We're going to leave it there, but I thank you both, uh, Jenny and Patrick, for coming in and speaking to us this evening. Uh, I really do appreciate it, and I hope somebody is listening to you. Thanks very right, much. Thank you. Thank you. And my thanks to all of our panellists tonight, and in some breaking news before we go, the government confirms that Level 5 will remain until at least April 5th. Until tomorrow night, good night and stay safe. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.